Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 24th of May 2015. What a marvellously contrived artificial reality we live in. Really is marvellous because you got to marvel at the incredible work you went into creating this fake reality with all its fake news and fake reasons for things happening. And most people really believe they have democratic governments and the guys that they put in government make all the big decisions and that's all there is to it. So you get the last lot out when they're bad and vote somebody new in and you hope for the better. But nothing changes because you go through this long, long agenda of international meetings and treaties being signed into law with further provisions for contingencies of continuity for the next step and the next step in every single part of every contingency. So you're living in a big business plan. I've always said this. And the big media, of course, is all part of it to give you the fake reality to make you think that things are just happening as you dawdle on down through time. And that they're happening by themselves. Of course, nothing's further from the truth. It takes a lot of planning to get even the free trade agreement for the North America Union into being. It took years of planning and negotiations before you heard the first signing of it. And then NAFTA, same thing there. Uh, all done again by the private organization, drafted up even for the governments to sign by the private organization, CFR, Council of Foreign Relations and Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is the same body, actually. So we're living through the big plan, of course, and they're going, they're going to the global system now. That's where we're heading. In fact, we're in it, really. And now we're just uh, uh, getting the big regional blocks cemented together through finances and financial treaties and things like that, and mass immigration across all borders as borders go down. That was always the plan, which was published over 100 years ago. Uh, but again, the, the mainstream uh, make, you, make you live in today. Just think about today. Don't look at the past or the history of anything. Just look at today. And so you get a fake reality by doing so. The same thing with the massive plan that was again, again, I should say, reiterated of using the weather as a, a catastrophe, basically. The man's brought it all on himself, bad weather, uh, by the Club of Rome, the big think tank that worked for the United Nations, another front organization, of course, for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, private club, CFR, private club. I've mentioned so many times about the IMF being created by the same organization, this private club, and... The, the Bank for International Settlements, the big one, is to manage the finances and the currencies of all the whole planet, basically. All business exchange, everything. So, it's going all to plan, and this is the century it was all to be accomplished in. All the rest of it, all the remaining parts were to be accomplished. They used the 20th century for the cultural changes, the indoctrination through the school, so the children would be prepared for the changes and be all, all for the changes without really knowing what they really were or why they were coming to be. They're all given nicey, nicey stories, Disneyland fashion, and they're all for it. You, you always change the culture for all the big changes. So you grab the children in school, that's awfully important. And when they grow up, and these changes come to be, I think it's all quite natural. They don't think it, it took a lot of planning and, and people did it and, and so and they've got other plans alongside it and other reasons for doing so. 
that's how well organized the whole of society truly is. And it's not as difficult as you might think, because if you have a warfare strategy, you look at everything you need to take over to, to, in order to make it work. And the first thing is definitely at the minds of the public. You do so by owning all the media, and you do so by fiction, the, t- the kind of fiction, the stories you put out there, what you embed in the stories, weaponized, if you like, that'll stay with the people as they grow throughout their years, from children to adulthood and old age even. And you must grab the youth at school and teach them every part of it. And so, of course, for years and years, I've been teaching the children about sex education, which eventually went into different forms of sex education, as you well know today, to to create a different world for the future and to change society through marriage and all the rest of it. In fact, even the abolition eventually of what used to be called the normal marriage. That's obsolete now. Uh, So the family unit was to be destroyed as we recognized it uh, years ago. We are always trained and prepared in advance for the changes before we hear of them, in fact, so that you'll think you'll be all for it, if, or even just neutral. You don't, you don't care one way or another when you hear one thing being proposed, a new bill, new law, whatever it happens to be. But the same thing with the globalization and the amalgamation of the whole planet. Uh, there's nothing new in the techniques that are used, except the techniques that were used nationally in some countries for years and years, and I've used internationally on everybody from the same source, actually. That's how it's done. But I have to laugh, as I say, about the weather thing and how they blame man for causing all the bad weather, and therefore they'd have to change the way that every single individual lives by managing us from birth to death on an individual basis. Your life would be predestined to an extent. In fact, they might not, you wouldn't get born down the road. That will come unless they actually need you for the system. And you can go even further back into the old technocracy group, which was incorporated as a stratagem to use on the world planning system. Uh, and if you go into technocracy, they talked about that too. They could blame mankind for disturbing the ecosystem and so on. And so therefore, in order to to save humanity, they'd have to take over uh, humanity's role in living on the planet in a very minute, expertly run fashion. It's a very, very old plan. And... Uh, and your lives really are dictated, and what's going to happen in your lives is dictated by people you'll never meet, way above, and way above even governments too, because governments rely heavily today for almost every aspect of running themselves on expert and private organizations, think tanks that are run by private foundations, which are owned primarily at the top by the big uh, moguls of the planet, the richest families on the planet. That's what we live in today. So yeah, you're to blame for the weather and so on. And because this year too, they're going to really play it up and and cause some real abnormalities, which is child's play today, to make sure that the average Joe is going to say, my God, what's wrong with the weather? Because this is the, the year for signing the big, big international treaty to give this organization, the the right to run your lives from birth to death. Literally. With all its energy taxes and carbon taxes across the board on everything you purchase, etc., etc., etc. This is the big one. So they've got to really play it up. But it's interesting to me, I mean, that this dropped the global warming, which they use as a drumbeat for years, because now that nature isn't complying with them, and... 
and they sometimes call it climate change. Meanwhile, I'm going into June here, and where I am in Ontario, I had seven degrees below freezing last night. And it's been like that two or three times over the last couple of weeks, in fact. I think it more to come as well. So, uh, yeah, so much for global warming. It doesn't matter. See, reality doesn't matter. Facts don't matter when it comes to the big agenda. Facts really don't count at all. Uh, it's what the experts at the top tell you. Uh, and you're going to believe your own critical thinking and what you've observed yourself, or you're going to believe your lying eyes and your lying, freezing skin, or you're going to believe the experts. That's how bad it is today. Most folk actually, even though they are freezing, will turn around and believe the experts because they've been trained to, they've been trained to believe in experts. Bertrand Russell said that back in the 50s, that the public shortly will be unable to even change the diaper on a child without expert advice and training. Something that, was, that happened for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, you need experts. And it's happened already. You've got to have all these different... Uh, postnatal clinics and all that kind of stuff to, to teach them. They don't have that clue. They don't trust it themselves or their own common sense anymore. And that was all intentional. But folk truly today, uh, and the internet's helped too, of course, by anything you need to know, look up the expert on any topic. And, well, they must be right, they're experts. Who says they're experts? Who says so? And of course, that means you yourself are just a dumb, stupid little animal at the bottom who can't even trust your own instincts and observations. Now, I've always been fascinated by how the, the, the techniques are first written about for inside members. And you get a hold of these old books, if you look carefully enough for them, where they decided what kind of world they were going to bring in a hundred years ago and down through the years since then. They still publish them. Everything is truly in plain view, but it's called the open secret. It's an open secret in so much as they publish the things, if you know where you look and what you're looking for, but they don't publicize it uh, in the mainstream newspapers. They don't make a big stink about it. And it's true, you think about the mainstream newspapers and television and so on, they tell you what to worry about. They tell you what not to worry about. That's, how, that's why we worry. We worry about things happening across the planet in the insignificant little places. There's nothing you can do about it. But they won't tell you to worry about the things you only have to worry about, like what they're going to do to you in the meantime as you go through all these different crises that must be implemented to shape the opinions of the general public as to why the whole of their existence must change. That's what the whole point of this is. The bank crashes didn't happen out of the blue. The banks didn't lose a penny at the top, all big money lenders. And it's going to happen again. And that's what all the, the little nervous hype is about that you're given to get you kind of nervous and get you ready for something. It's because you've got to do that again because eventually you have to have one organization, the BIS, taking over the monetary system of the planet. Another private organization, you see. Private business bankers own it, basically run it. So nothing happens by itself on this scale. If you have experts running any kind of particular area, including in the economy, you wouldn't get bank crashes. Therefore, there's something else going on, and the whole of the economy is rigged to start with, including the monetary system. It's the most corrupt of all. And it's meant to be that way because the guys who started it were corrupt. 
and they never let it go down through centuries and centuries. Same peoples. Therefore, you have to be trained now that, that uh, and this is, this is what really fascinated me. If you're running the world, you must always look not just ahead, but as though what you're planning was implemented. How would it look to the society that survives and comes through all of these crises? They must believe that all these things that happened to them to make it plausible for these laws or new systems to be introduced were real. You see, so you must create what appears to be real crisis for the public, and they must suffer in these crises to make sure they get it through their heads. Well, you got to give up all your freedoms, all your rights, and brand new system, and let experts run you locally, uh, nationally, globally, and all the rest of it, etc., uh, etc. Et in other words, you must you must plan how you're introducing all of the changes as though it was already done from a historian's perspective. And the historian will say, well, the people had to go along with it. They didn't mind and complain because they'd been through such chaos and crisis. They didn't mind. That's how they write things, you see. So that's the system we're going through right now. This is the century of change. The 20th century was when they really pushed the agenda, that they needed world wars. In fact, they said their own writings to make it happen, to make folk start buckling to their knees and give up nationalism and allow these, these international treaties to be organized and organizations like the, the, the CFR to draft amalgamation treaties for countries into unions like the EU and the NAFTA uh, and Eastern Pacific Rim region countries and also uh, the African countries as well into one big block. Uh, this is this is the big plan, of course, but you need a crisis to make it happen. So world wars were great for it. Now it's an age of terror, you see. And that'll be with you until they have the brand new system worldwide all worked out and implemented. Now, everyone knows across the world pretty well, but the U.S.'s form of homeland security with FEMA and all different agencies involved, fusion centers, etc. But what they don't know is that every country involved in these alliances pass the same laws at the same time for the same systems, and they have their versions too. And I've mentioned that every couple of years, or three or four years sometimes, the British think tanks who work for the military strategy come out with the reports, which go into, and, and all the recommendations go into effect, and the army must comply and change uh, as various priorities for the future. And you mustn't disregard the ones from the past. They're all part of it. The one in 2008 I put up on my website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It has uh, lots of, uh, uh, it's got the PDS from, the, from the, the think tanks reports and so on for the military. And this is for NATO countries, not just Britain, uh, about what to expect and civil unrest and all the rest of it and flash mobs and how to deal with them, etc., etc. Population control and reduction, all these things are in it, actually. Now, here's another part of that, and it's to do with um, the Army 2020, I think they call it part of the 2010 National Security Strategy, and it's part of the 2020 uh, plan that they have. But this new part um, is, it goes on to 2010 and updates it too, to do with, again, the fusion centers and all the rest of it too. And part of it says here, support to homeland resilience. Now, homeland resilience was passed in 2004, 
and that's to do again with the, the amalgamation of police and different multi-jurisdictional task forces all work together in the so-called homeland in Britain, and the whole of UK, you know. So uh, this is the this is part of it here. So it says part of it is the resilience um, and the SDSR10 gave the armed forces the task of supporting civil emergency organisations in times of crisis. It says the government's expectation is that civil resilience is best addressed at the local level and much work has been done to build capability here. However, there will be times when the scale of events will overwhelm local response and the armed forces will be called upon to assist. It's not maybe, but will be called upon to assist. While it is unlikely that this requirement will be fully codified as a quantified military output, we must be prepared to be called upon in extremists and expect that this to result in last-minute notification. Our planning cells and regional liaison officers and regional points of command will be postured to understand the planning and execution methods of civil resilience teams so that they can help to integrate army units into civil operations when required as seamlessly as possible. In addition, units at all levels will be required to train with their civilian counterparts to better prepare themselves for the likely range of missions they may be required to conduct. Our relevance, utility and value will be routinely uh, demonstrated by the capacity and willingness of the integrated army to maintain UK resilience. Increasingly, we will have the opportunity to provide national resilience by design, drawing on both regular and reserve components, and which provide the ultimate insurance policy for the resilience of the nation. And I'll put the full document up with a PDF from the military on this particular part of the agenda at, uh, on tonight's program. So you can look over for yourselves if you're interested at all. But it's pretty well much the same as, as they have in, in the U.S. and elsewhere too. And getting ready for the what, what you know they must do, bring on bank crashes and various crises to bring in the whole global new system. And there'll be a lot of chaos in the meantime, but it's all managed chaos of course, but it must be all real to the people. They must really suffer to an extent in various ways. And that's, there's nothing new in that at all. Now, you've got to remember that government exists on the need for crisis and worry and fear being instilled in the general populations. That's when people with a tribal instinct, even if it's now multicultural tribal, it's a great tribe you might call the world tribe, they look towards government to help them through crisis or prevent crisis and so on. So it makes government seem more necessary than ever. And that's how uh, they've done it for probably thousands of years at the top. Create the crisis, uh, always give rumours of crisis or possible crisis to keep the people living in fear. When you're living in fear, you can't think, terribly rationally. Uh, the other thing about fear, too, when it's really excessive, is you retreat into fantasy, and fantasy uh, gets you out of the picture of causing any problems to those in authority. But here's an article here, for example, and it doesn't make any sense at all, because it, at the top they don't make mistakes. They don't make stupid, stupid, stupid mistakes. They want you to believe they do, but they don't. They don't make stupid mistakes. And this one here is to do with what they call Project Bookend. And it says, uh, the first rule of Project Bookend is that you don't talk about Project Bookend. 
In retrospect, maybe the first rule should have been you don't accidentally email project bookend to a news agency because as the Guardian newspaper reports, one of its editors opened his inbox and was surprised to find a message from the Bank of England's head of press, Jeremy Harrison, outlining the UK financial market equivalent of the Manhattan Project. Project Bookend is a secret, or was a secret, initiative undertaken by the Bank of England to study what the fallout might be from a potential Brexit, B-R-E-X-I-T. But if anyone asks what Sir John Cunliffe and a few senior staffers were up to, they were instructed to say that they were busy investigating a broad range of European economic issues. So... It says Bank of England officials secretly researching the financial shocks that could hit Britain if there's a vote to leave the EU. The bank blew its cover Friday and accidentally emailed details of the project, including how the bank intended to fend off any inquiries about its work, direct to the Guardian. According to that confidential email, the press and most staff in Threadneedle Street must be kept in the dark about the work underway, which has been dubbed the Project Bookend. Members of Parliament are likely to ask whether the bank intended to inform Parliament that a major review of Britain's prospects outside the EU was being undertaken by the institution that acts as the UK's main financial regulator. Carney, who's the head of it, is also likely to come under pressure within the bank to reveal whether there are other undercover projects underway. Officials are likely to have kept the project under wraps to avoid entering the highly charged debate around the EU referendum, which has jumped to the top of the political agenda since Conservatives secured an overall majority. Many business leaders and the pro-EU campaigners have warned that Brexit, that's British exit, would hit British exports and damage the, the standing of the City of London. That's the financial establishment where they're all in this actual one square mile city of London. The email indicates that a small group of senior staff are to examine the the effect of the Brexit under the authority of Sir John Cunliffe, etc., etc. So, that's supposedly what was emailed by mistake to the Guardian. And if you believe that, then you believe anything, which most folk unfortunately do. They don't make mistakes like that, folks, at the top. This is another thing to keep you all on edge and terrified. And Oh my God, we need government more than ever to sort things out. The last thing you want, if you want anything done at all and remained efficiently, is to have government do it for you. That's really what you, the last thing you want. Also, we know too that China was set up by the West, just like everything else in the last 150 years is set up by the West. And you'll find that they're saying that China will grow larger. Well, big, big deal, eh? Like we didn't expect it to happen. And to do with, again, the, the same boys who set up the International Monetary Fund, etc., um, and the Overseas Economic Development Corporation, which is a strange semi-private organization that borrows money on your behalf, the taxpayers, to give to third world countries, which actually goes to international corporations to set up in those third world countries. They get it all for free, and then you, you're left with the tap to pay off the debt for that was borrowed in the first place. That's the con of it all under the United Nations. Um, now they're bringing out uh, something similar in China, of course. And believe you me, it's not going to be a competitor at all. It's uh, only part of the strategy for, for the whole planet. And eventually that they'll probably bring them all into one new system called something else again, uh, instead of the IMF 
and the International Financial Institution of China, they'll, they'll actually have a different term for it when it's totally global. Because it's all owned by the same shareholders at the top, I guarantee you. But it's called the, the Asia Infrastructure Development Banker, AIIB. It's poised to become a real alternative to the current development banking system, such as the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and the Asian Development Bank. But unlike the incumbent institutions, it will not be led by the United States. And while it's working a capital of $50 billion is smaller than that of the World Bank, which is $2.2 trillion, or the Asian Development Bank, which is $160 billion, it has managed to attract 57 potential founding members, many of them traditionally attached to U.S. allies. In fact, despite concerns, U.S. pressure is European allies have all joined as founding members of the new bank alongside its erstwhile enemies such as Russia and, of course, the BRICS countries. Well, it's, it's meant to be that way. That's why they set it up. It's the same top shareholders and big boys at the top that manage them all. There's no... Understand, you already have globalism, folks. All the rest of it is posturing and nonsense to keep you in the dark. You already have uh, this because uh, if you were to run the world too, and the whole plan was to obviously control the whole world, you're going to have the same guys controlling the financial system across the whole planet. And they already do. They've had it for an awful long time. And they, become, they set up these institutions, they put them, the cash in, and they reap the harvest of them. That's really what happens. I'll put this link up tonight too for that. Another article here, interviews is BRICS may, bank may change world power. Absolute rubbish. It says Canadian expert, it says. It's again, expert, there's that word there. See that expert? Phew, makes you cringe, eh? It's a Canadian expert hailed the BRICS nation's recent decision to establish a development bank, saying the bank could potentially lead to some significant changes, including a shift towards a multipolar monetary system. Now, who, who is this expert? Remember I told you before about CG, C-I-G-I? Again, the part of the CFR for Canada that uh, is a big, massive think tank, also has a, a, a good part of university they use too, in Waterloo. And, um, and they're into international governance in many different levels, of course. Again, private organization, because everything, it's run, everything it runs us today is totally private, not your government, you see. Anyway, it says, Domenica Lombardi, an, an expert in global economy from a Canadian think tank, told Zinhua in a recent interview that while the economic significance of the new development bank was yet to be seen, many were debating the possible impacts. It says, for the BRICS economies, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, the new bank has long been a long time coming, said Lombardi, director of the Centre for International Governance Innovation, <laughs> Global Economy Programme. So you understand, this This is another branch of the CFR that drafted up the Free Trade Agreement for Canada, drafted up the NAFTA agreement as well, handed it to the governments to sign into law. And they belong to the Royal Institute of International Affairs group at the, at the top, based in Britain. And, and they set up the IMF, BIS, and all the top central banks for Europe and all the rest of it. So it's the same bunch, private, private, private. You don't vote for these guys. You don't even know who they are. Most folk are completely ignorant they exist. And uh, here they are again, uh, giving you an expert to give you your opinion. It's going to become your opinion on what this uh, BRICS bank is going to be, you see. So it says here, the BRICS Development Bank is noteworthy in that respect because it really is the first concrete initiative that comes out from the BRICS Summit, Lombardi said. 
with the creation of the bank, things are about to change for the emerging economies, which now have proven that they can create something together by converging their interests. The experts said that although the BRICS members had a very important role in today's world economy, they've been unable so far to galvanize their economic power into political clout. But now with the creation of the bank, things are about to change for the emerging economies, which have now proved that they can create something together by converging their interests, he said. And so on, and so on, and so on. But don't be worried about it, because it's it's a done deal. And everything is a done deal long before you hear the terms or any supposedly any fake debate about things. Meanwhile, in some of these great countries like India, of course, uh, the BRICS countries, things are, are bad. I mean, I read years ago on the air when the Rothschilds, uh, it was Synergy or another company, but it's, it's one of these companies that, that are like Monsanto, they have the modified seed, the genetically modified seed, and all the pesticides that go with it, all the special ones you've got to use, and how they were, they, they, they literally, first of all, they, they, they bankrupted most of the farmers across India, literally from north to south, by economic strategy. Then they took up their farms, bought them over for peanuts. Uh, there was mass suicides of farmers and all the rest of it, and then the big agribusinesses took it over, and they had documentary specials about now the war, groundwater is so poisoned with pesticides, and they got all the problems you now have in the West uh, in a very short space of time. Well, now here it says crop loss in India. It says Indian farmers forced to sell their children to survive, the authorities. And it says um, the farmer from Mohanpura village in central India's Madhya Pradesh state has been has seen unseasonably heavy rains and hailstorms destroy the crop after crop while he fell deeper into debt. And I'm telling you that, that weather warfare is a very old technique. Uh, it's way beyond the old cloud seeding stuff of, of silver oxide that they used during the end of World War II much more sophisticated than that today, and it's routine, and it's pretty well perfected today. I've seen it in Canada, folk in the States have seen it, and across other parts of the world too. The folk who look up once in a while actually see them spraying away. You can actually see them changing the weather by the day. And after a while, you know what they're going to do. They're going to use either dispersant, which is going to give you drought, and and the clouds that come in simply disperse. It's amazing you stand and watch them disperse, nothing very quickly, or else they cause them to rain. They can do one or the other. And as Brzezinski said back in the 70s, that weather warfare is, would, would make even an atom bomb obsolete. You could literally change a whole continent so fast and starve folk into extinction if need be, or definitely a submission. So anyway, they're getting unseasonably heavy rains, kind of like they're getting Canada now, uh, and hailstones destroy the crop after crop. Final last August, with no way to feed his family, Singh felt he had only one choice. He sold his two sons to a shepherd for a year of labor in exchange for 35,000 rupees, which is about $500. He said, I was in no position to repay the debt, need more money to make ends meet and plant a further crop, he said in an interview. He made the decision, he said, despite knowing it was illegal and it could be abused and forced to work in cruel conditions. Worsening crop failures brought on by extreme weather are leading to increasing financial desperation in Madhya Pradesh and a rash of suicides and child trafficking, the officials say. That's uh, weather warfare in action.
That's what, the first thing you're going to do is get the farms out of the private ownership, especially with all the small farmers, which have been almost totally accomplished in the West. There's still occasional private farm in the West, but uh, the whole future is to be the big agribusiness, uh, massive corporate farms for nations. That, that's, the United Nations said that years ago, the Department of Agriculture at the UN, they said, I think it was the 60s, that farming was too important to be left to farmers. And he's another... <laughs> I've talked so many times about charity. You understand that most, most of what you think is reality is fake. You're trained from birth to be naive and trusting. That's the only way governments can survive, is to create the society, the perfect society, who's all given the same training and indoctrination. That's why it's mandatory for school and all the rest of it, to, to get the same indoctrination, uh, so that you'll believe the reality they're going to give you from then on. And it works awfully well. Just look around you. Look at, you, look at what you believed yourself maybe a few years back. But... Because you're taught to be so naive and trusting. I mean, why? If you're born into a system, it's true enough in a, in a real natural system, like a so-called so-called primitive society, like uh, they've got occasional little bits of tribes left yet, and the jungles down near the, the Amazon, around the Amazon. The people there get up in the morning, and they they don't think about the economic system is going to collapse. Or I should be worried, or the price of gas is going up because we don't need it, and or the price of food's going up. Oh my God, there is going to be a shortage of this this crop this year because they can't. Bad weather destroyed it. You don't hear any of that rubbish that was bombarding us constantly. This mantra of warfare terminology, because that's what it is. News is warfare terminology, and the war is on your mind. So they get up in the morning and they actually spend about an hour all in a big circle chatting about their dreams and things, things that are important to them, for their mental health. And those, the people who still live completely independently, they, they don't know what high blood pressure is. They don't know what suicide is. They have no toothache, because they don't eat all the rubbish that, that you, stuffed in your children's faces here. And... Um, and the, the maximum work they'll do is four hours in any particular day. Often it's just two. The rest of the day is theirs to walk around, talk to each other, play with their children, things like that. We call them primitive. You understand? You're in the artificial system, and you, you are the slave. And you're bombarded with all this fear, fear, fear. And you're so, what, see, the, the primitive society, why, why would, it would it, they would think it bizarre if, you had to, if you're born into a system where you only hear fear every day. That would, that would not be living. We are not living. But we are, we're taught this is normal. Taught it's normal. But all the experts in the world uh, are always wrong, supposedly, and they, and, and they crash the economy at least twice a century and plunder you and take everything from you. And, you, and then, they go, they, then they don't change it. It goes back in again. And away you go again. And, and you all go along with it, thinking it's normal. That's madness. So when you're taught that, that everything's fine and wonderful and you're naive and so on, like governments must train you to believe, 
then you're taking advantage of, not just by governments themselves and all its various agencies and so on, and, and advertisers and yada yada, but also by the charities. Incredible scams in the charities. I mean, it's a lot. Again, the more naive you are, uh, the more you want to believe in things. You want to really believe they're, they're to help the poor children or whatever it happens to be. Or the panda bear, you know. And you give all, and decent folk give and give and give because they, they have no idea. And I've read so many articles over the years about the scams when charities are found out. With the big, they've got CEOs and everything at the top of the charity organizations. Earning as, much, earning as much as top CEOs of big corporations. And all the rest of them down the chain working for them, I've got mass, most of the money goes in their massive salaries and their holidays and things like that. It's a great life for them. Anyway, here's an article here. Federal Trade Commission has accused four cancer charities of defrauding well-meaning donors for over $187 million. Today, the FTC and law enforcement group from all 50 states have filed a complaint against the Cancer Fund of America, the Cancer Support Services and Children's Cancer Fund of America, and the Breast Cancer Society. The complaint alleges that these four sham charities solicited millions of donations by promising to help pay for hospice care, chemotherapy, and other services for cancer patients. But only a fraction of that money actually went to patients. The rest went to company cars, high salaries, and even a Caribbean cruise. They've gotten a lot more than just that. But I'll tell you, you see, under the law, and this is the beauty of, for, for the con men, you see, because they set up the laws and everything to do with your reality. A charity only has to say that, that it gives to so much to, to the organization it's supposed to be helping with. So this one does say it gives a fraction to hospice care and chemotherapy and so on. And I bet anything they'll get off with it. So the defense took in millions of dollars in donations meant to help cancer patients but spent on themselves and their fundraisers. This is the FTC Consumer Protection Bureau, Jessica, Director Jessica Rich. <laughs> Bad name for an article like this. The charities employed for-profit fundraisers who typically received 80% or more of every dollar raised. And they do employ massive advertising um, corporations to, to get the funds and stuff like that, and professional fundraisers. So, so 8% is spent on them, providing little oversight. Between 2008 and 2012, the companies reportedly raised $187 million and they reported $120 million in fundraising costs. The four charities spent between 2.4% and 3.4% of the money on actual aid. The remaining money went to employees who were often family and friends of the charity operators. Most of what fundraisers told donors was allegedly misleading, and much was outright false. This includes promises that 100% of her proceeds go to hospice care for organizations that didn't fund hospice services at all. And most of the funds went to the, the fundraisers and the cars and vacations, etc. That, that's pretty standard. I won't matter to most folk. They'll think it's just like a little blip and a, and a little glitch and, and they're placid, routine passage through life and they'll be start giving them again whenever they see a, a poor child with a emaciated face and some picture somewhere asking for money that's unfortunately that's, you understand those who are successful in this world are psychopathic the studies that have been done show they're more psychopaths heading into government positions and then the other ones going to top CEOs of corporations and things 
And it's like a passport, the scam lot. They're so streetwise. It's just, they're, just, they're born with it. This instinct to see how they can get money. It's just, they're just born with it, folks. And they have no moral conscience whatsoever. So they, they have no problems implementing the little scams. Or big scams, for that matter. Sad, isn't it? But that's the world you live in. Now, over the years, I've also talked and read from books, very good books, on the coming police state, things like that, and the militarization of the police in various countries. And again, this is part of the big global agenda for the new freedom. Remember Bush, George Bush came up with that term, the new freedom. It's a very old term because, again, going back to technocracy in the 1930s, that's when it, which was adopted by the Rockefeller brothers and brought into the CFR agenda too. They talked about that, the new freedom. It'd be a diminished kind of freedom and more, and you'd be more obedient to authorities of all kinds. If you read the rest of it, they never tell you that in these little quotes. They give you the rest of it, you see. And, of course, the media is too well-informed, personally, to let the public know. But anyway, this article is from the Rutherford Institute. And the article really is rather tame, but it's just reiterating what I've said over the years. And you've got to go into, and you make good use of cutting through the matrix.com website, because the archive section is off, it goes back for years and years, and there's lots of information there and so on, and articles and names of books and things like that. But this uh, says, says, if we're training cops as soldiers, giving them equipment like soldiers, dressing them up like soldiers, when are they going to, to pick up the mentality of soldiers? If you look at the police department, their creeds is to protect and serve. Again, that's misleading because folk never say, well, protect who and serve who? Understand this, this is a standard con game of lawyers and things and the folk that run the world. So a soldier's mission is to engage his enemy in close combat and kill him. Do we want police officers to have that mentality? Of course not. And that's from Arthur Reiser, former civilian police officer and member of the military. Talk about poor timing, it says. Then again, perhaps it's brilliant timing. Only now, after the Department of Justice, Homeland Security and Defense have passed off billions of dollars worth of military equipment to local police forces, after police agencies have been trained in the fine art of war, after SWAT team raids have swelled in number, to more than 80,000 a year in the U.S. After it's become a second nature for the local police to look and act like soldiers, after communities have become acclimated to the presence of militarized police patrolling their streets, after Americans have been taught compliance at the end of a police gun or taser, after lower-income neighborhoods have been transformed into war zones, after hundreds if not thousands of unarmed Americans have lost their lives at the hands of police who shoot first and ask questions later, after a whole generation of young Americans have learned to march in lockstep with the government's dictates. Only now does President Obama lift a hand to limit the number of military weapons being passed along to local police departments. And it says, not all, mind you, just some. It says, too little, too late. Months after the White House defended a federal program that distributed $18 billion worth of military equipment to local police, Obama has announced that he will ban the federal government from providing local police departments and tracked armored vehicles, weaponized aircraft and vehicles, bayonets, grenade launchers, camouflage uniforms, and large caliber firearms. Actually, you can shoot holes through all of these things with the three words what they've got and what they're going to give them. 
Obama's indicated that less heavy-duty equipment, such as armoured vehicles and tactical vehicles, right gear and specialised firearms and ammunition, will reportedly be subject to more regulations, again that's all vague, such as local government approval uh, and police being told to undergo more training and collect data on equipment's use. Well, all they're going to do, if you understand what that says, they're required to undergo more training. That's military training for the police, more, so they can be more proficient in the weapons, you see. Perhaps hoping to sweeten the deal, Obama administration is also offering $163 million in tax-funded grants to incentivize police departments to adopt the report's recommendations. Now, if you look at what they might be restricting to an extent, but not banning, uh, certain armored vehicles, well, that's ones with, with tracks. You can still get tanks that run on wheels, folks, and things like that. You understand? It's all wording and, and how they, they con you into this or that. So... And apart from that, too, I've said years and years ago that they'd already trained and were training a whole generation to grow up playing the video games designed for the war industry, actually, to militarize their mentality as well. So they go straight into the military because they had a big job to do. This is before Gulf War One, and, and here we are in Gulf War Two, and ongoing war, 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 perpetual war, and perpetual terrorism, blah, blah, blah. It's all very boring when you follow it your whole darn life. And... Um, and it all makes absolute sense when you have been aware your whole life, too, of what's going on. And you've seen all the cons of the pool, like, again, the rewording of things and terminologies and so on. So I'll put these articles up tonight. And also, this little article, too, is just, again, often little articles to do with you being spied on, you're being spied on. I think it simply reinforce till you accept, you just like accept things, you see, that, that you're being spied on. Uh, and you think it's quite normal to be spied on. Which most folk today do. Sad, isn't it? That's how domesticated we are. This is Canada and its spying partners exploited weaknesses in one of the world's most popular mobile browsers and planned to hack into smartphones via links to Google and Samsung app stores. Top secret document obtained by CBC News shows. So electronic intelligence agents began targeting UC browser, massively popular application in China and India, with growing use in North America in late 2011, after discovering it leaked revealing details about uh, its half billion users. Their goal in tapping the browser and uh, looking for was, uh, and also looking for larger app store vulnerabilities was to collect data on suspected terrorists and other intelligence targets, and in some cases implant spyware on targeted smartphones. But of course, it's, now they admit that they're using it on all the, the whole darn public. It's only one byte they're into things. There's, they've already built them into the brand new computers regardless. Now, you're never going to get any communication device today, electronic communication device, that isn't set up to be used by government agencies and security agencies and all different kinds of agencies. You won't find them electronically. I don't care how much money you spend right now, so all the con games of all the anti-spyware, etc., uh, and programs you can buy, it, they're meant to be open, so you are an open book to your owners, basically, those who own you. And we're all owned, actually. Whole nations are owned. Always have been. And um, the first thing to, to be have total security at the top and your ownership of everybody else underneath you is to have all their data on them at all times. Everyone must be utterly predictable at all times. That's why they, they constantly update the, the virtual you into a virtual game in the Pentagon, for instance, 
of every citizen from all the data that they collect daily on you, from your, your texting and what you look at in Google and all the rest of it, and your preferences for what you watch and what you, what hobbies, everything goes into that virtual you so they can play little war games on it and, and little, um, like the movie The Game, kind of like that. Uh, but with with Michael um, Douglas in it, it's a very good movie that actually. But only if you do it in a in a computer format, basically a virtual format, so you can see how that would work too. They actually play that kind of game on you, the virtual you that they have in the Pentagon, with all your data, and they have all the Korean citizens there too, by the way, with this UNAFTA data sharing. Anyway, back to this article here. It says. Um, this is their goal of tapping in and so on, especially to, to collect data on suspected terrorists. No, it's, it's to collect, make sure that everybody is predictable. If you change your habits in any possible way of what you're looking at or talking about, they want to know. They want to know why. Are you starting to think? You could be a problem if you're starting to think. You could be a problem down the road. Especially if you can actually collect data, remember it all, and put it across in a coherent manner to other people. Then you could be a problem. I'm not kidding you. That's what it's all for, folks. And back on to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, this other further integration. Remember, that was the old plan put out by the Milner Group, the Lord Alfred Milner Group, that helped bring in World War I, actually, and World War II. And they wrote about it at the time, the need for world wars. And they, from that group, they became uh, the, the higher group of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which has branches across the world called Council of Foreign Relations, and other names too for other countries, but it's all the same world organization, one from London today. But it says, um, they said they had a total world integration financially and all the rest of it, and, and th- through trade agreements. That's how they'd bring it all in. Then they'd merge every country's laws, ready for amalgamation, trading blocks, and then the trading blocks will further go on to, through treaties to, to merge more laws and rules, getting ready for total world global integration. So anyway, it says, now that President Barack Obama has finally been given authority to negotiate trade agreements on behalf of the U.S. government without further congressional intervention, chances are that the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations will quickly conclude. And it's just been passed, of course, by the U.S. Senate votes. So this is another article to grant Obama the fast-track power. So the U.S. Senate votes on it, so it's a done deal. And it's interesting, too, the little <laughs> the love numbers and so on. This is... Fast-track power on trade deals to help wrap up 12-nation Pacific Rim Pact. That's how they did the EU Union, or no, the European Union. It was 12 nations, supposedly, and that's why they still kept the 12 stars on the flag of the EU flag for the Parliament building. Even though there's vastly more in it, they won't add the numbers of stars to it. And here you have 12-nation Pacific Rim Pact, which, of course, are going to bring on every little island in it eventually, and there might be dozens, if not hundreds of them. But they'll keep it at 12. And they'll have a new flag for it too, by the way. Anyway, it says it needs trade promotion authority to, com- to complete Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's an economic alliance. That also encompasses all your national laws too, by the way, because you've got to change them all for, for the economy. That, that all changes everything. Everything comes from economy, money. Yeah. And... If enacted, the TPA, which of course it is, uh, would apply to deals negotiated by Obama's successor. That's what, uh, that's what Thomas Jefferson said. When you see this, an agenda being carried on between changes in the House from one to the other, it doesn't matter what party's in, it's the same agenda. 
suddenly picked up and carried on, then you know you're under tyranny. Well, that's what the United Nations was set up to do, all their treaties and the World Trade Organization, which is a private organization, again, set up by the Royal Institute for International Affairs. <laughs> a private organization. So... Uh, it says here that uh, President Barack Obama scored a major victory Friday when he was Senate vote to give him the fast-track powers that would help wrap up negotiations. So now, now they can't change or amend anything at all, never mind even see it. But it's, it's quite amazing, uh, the fact that uh, it's so secretive to begin with. It's, it's in secret. The public have to be kept in the dark about it all. It's all about you folks. Uh, your economy, your jobs, everything else. It's all about you, but you're not allowed to know anything about it, except, except it's going to be awfully good for you. That's what they told you with every lie in the past. It be awfully, that's what they told all the folk in European countries. If they joined it, oh, it'd be awfully good and they'd be awfully wealthy, and anybody who didn't join it would be left behind. Look at them now. All living off the, uh, the German bank, basically. And I'll put this link up tonight, too. And um, I, I meant to say too tonight that remember, folks, that when you're using cuttingthroughmatrix.com website for all the different articles, and thousands use it every week, multi thousands do use it every week, uh, I seldom do I ever get a donation coming from these people. And no one's paying me for this. I don't have a think tank backing me up or any government agency backing me up on the quiet, you know. Uh, so therefore, I really appreciate it if you can send an occasional donation this way. You can find out how to do it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com And you can use PayPal or send cash or money order, whatever um, Even postal money orders are accepted these days From the US to Canada Because that would certainly help me out in the dilemmas I'm in Because I've got all these websites to pay for, you know And things like that And um, I'll also be charging out a whole bunch of books Hopefully if I get the cash raised up from all because it's going to cost quite a bit to get them all printed. Uh, so, uh, and again, they'll be used mightily across the world. Like, there's even universities use them. Um, there's, there's even some professors write to me from different universities across the world who use my talks over the years in their courses at university. So, um, but, but I don't get the money for it, any money for it. So, um, I'm not a, a wealthy guy at all. I put so much into this, and there's been a lot of sacrifice over the years. I'd really appreciate any help that you guys are willing to give me. Be awfully, awfully uh, grateful for that indeed. And what I try to do is deprogram you all to show you that you, you can think for yourself. Start trusting yourselves to think for yourself. Start using your own eyes and ears and logic and all the rest of it. And don't wait for some expert to come up uh, uh, with his Fantastic uh, training Who will knock you off course with your own reasoning Because they, they're trained in that this is, Again, these are all very old arts That are really perfected in this day and age And they, they know how to use terminology And new neuro-linguistic programming techniques and so on to, to literally disable you When need be and then reprogram you, and it happens all the time. These guys even work with the movie industry to make sure that they can, they, they, they can bend your opinions through a fictional representation of a situation by making you laugh or cry at a certain thing, which is totally fictional, and, and change your opinions on things and the way that you behave and think about certain things too. You're constantly being worked on, and all you have is your mind and your memory. 
and yourself. And believe you me, the techniques used on all of us today under total warfare programs is to make sure that none of that belongs to you. You're supposed to be the well-created, trained, and produced uh, little unit that the experts have have made to make sure the masters in control of the world have no problems down the road. That is not freedom. The worst thing you can do to any creature in this world is rob it of its mind. That that's the biggest crime of all. When your reality is robbed at birth, what greater crime can there be? All the potential that you have for reality and, and experience throughout life and, and deciding what life is about and so on is completely robbed from you. And you have no choice. You don't even know what's happening to you. Your parents don't know because they were brainwashed themselves. And they're kept worrying and scurrying for money and paying rents or mortgages or whatever else they have to pay as things go up and up and up in price. The whole system is designed to keep you fearful. So you can never sit back and relax and say, I'm, I've, I've no worries today. I don't even listen to I haven't watched TV for years and years. I don't listen to mainstream news. I just look for certain articles. I know what to look for, uh, for the area of articles, because there's only one big world agenda. But it does encompass everything about you, personally, those around you, who are still tenuously but in transition called nations. As we go through this massive agenda that most folk don't even know exists. I ignore what's called the backscatter, which is all the relevant nonsense churned out daily as news and with all factoid nonsense things and so on. That's all rubbish, data overload rubbish. And I don't stick on the consequences of things which were enacted which cause problems to, to us all on a daily basis. It's to be expected. So anyway, I hope you're starting to get your realities and don't panic with it all and crush yourself and fall apart when you understand what's going on. You've got to make yourself strong. And the only way to do it is to understand what truth is. And, and, and don't get furious and let anger kill you either when you realize that evil people run the world and always have pretty well. The proper people give you the proper reality at all times and they indoctrinate you properly. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>